You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1904th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 10th of November 2022. The editor of this edition is Katrina Morris, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and Neil Keeley. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And we commence, as always, with the headlines. Business chiefs say size will see is key to Suffolk's future as a doubt cast on project. The end is in sight for City Fibre Works disruption. Appeal for new Suffolk hosts as 1,169 Ukrainians now in the county. Nurse voting for strike action says... Tired NHS staff want better pay. Business leaders have said the new Sizewell C nuclear power station is key to growing Suffolk's economy amid some confusion over whether the project would go ahead. Yesterday, some government sources said the Sizewell C project could be delayed or reviewed ahead of the autumn statement in a bid to plug a £60 billion financial black hole, while others insisted nothing had changed. One government official told the BBC, We are reviewing every major project, including Sizewell C. And a senior Treasury source backed this, stressing, We're looking at all capital spending, despite sources elsewhere including in the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, insisting the project was not being caned. But Number 10 later said the government's position on the multi-billion pound project has not changed, adding the nuclear reactor remains crucial to curbing the UK's reliance on fossil fuels and boosting energy security at home. It is hoped a deal will be reached with energy firm EDF, who are expected to build the reactor as soon as possible. The Prime Minister's official spokesman said, The government has already pledged up to £700 million towards this. Paul Simon, Head of Public Affairs and Strategic Communications at Suffolk Chamber of Commerce, which represents businesses, said it was essential. The £20 billion project was built along with other infrastructure schemes, if the county was to prosper in the future. Mr Simon said, I suspect that this type of speculation ahead of the autumn statement and in light of the Bank of England's recent interest rate decisions and forecast is inevitable. However, Suffolk Chamber alongside the British Chambers of Commerce remains clear that we can most efficiently grow our economy through an expanded programme of infrastructure investment. That means ensuring that go-ahead for key capital projects in our county, including Sizewell C, upgrades to the A12 and A14 and A47, and improvements to the rail junctions at both Ely and Hawley, 
as well as in the skills that will support these projects, is absolutely essential. Union bosses added that the plans falling through would be catastrophic. Andy Prendergast, National Secretary, said any decision to pull support from Sizewell C would be catastrophic. We really could see the UK's lights go out. Without nuclear, there, is, there can be no net zero. However, campaigners opposed to the new power station have disagreed, calling for a review to take place and saying that the power station was not crucial to meeting the government's target of achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Alison Downs of Stop Sizewell C said, Sizewell C definitely should be under review. It is certainly not crucial to meeting our net zero obligations or ensuring energy security. All it can offer is short-term pain with more money on our energy bills and long-term pain. With huge uncertainty about build costs and time for electricity far more expensive than readily available renewables. Today's response by Downing Street looks more like reassurance of EDF, France and the nuclear lobby than any clear statement of what the government actually intends to do about spiralling pressure on public spending. Fibre works, which have caused widespread disruption across Bury St Edmunds, are due to be finished early next year, it has been confirmed. Work on the £8 million city fibre project to upgrade the town's digital infrastructure started in the spring of 2020 and since has seen roads dug up, car parking suspensions and general disruption for residents and businesses. Charles Kitchen, City Fibre's area manager for Berry, said this week, I'm pleased to share that we're on track to complete our town-wide network rollout by March 2023, at which point Berry will become one of the best connected towns in the UK. We will continue to work closely with West Suffolk Council over the coming months to manage disruption to, re- to residents. The end date announcement was welcomed by Berry Mayor Peter Thompson. He said, for the works to stop disrupting the lives of our residents is going to be amazing, as it has been painful at times. But what is the alternative? Carry on using copper wires and be left behind? The work could have been managed better at times, so it is really welcome that now it is coming to an end and we will be left with one element of IT infrastructure to be proud of. Meanwhile, Well Street is next in line to be visited by City Fibre engineers with car parking suspended from Monday to Friday. Resident Roland Smith questioned the works, saying they were originally scheduled for the weeks before the road was resurfaced, but stopped, quote, at the last moment when they discovered many of the houses had cellars which extended under the pavement, unquote. Mr Kitchen said, as part of this project, we are carrying out tests to determine the most efficient way to bring full fibre to Well Street and are mindful of the newly resurfaced road. Community Action Suffolk is holding drop-in events around Suffolk, providing information on hosting and what is involved. 
Uh, this is regarding the Ukrainians in our county. In particular, new hosts are sought in Felixstowe, Lowestoft, Haverhill and Bury St Edmunds, with a need for homes able to accommodate large families of five or more. Through the scheme, the government provides £350 a month to individual sponsors who can provide a home or spare room rent-free for as long as they are able, with a minimum stay of six months. However, for many refugees, their six-month stay has finished, and while some hosts are able to continue offering them homes, others are either having to find new hosts or look to the private rental sector for accommodation. Latest figures from Suffolk County Council show that as of October the 25th, 1,169 Ukrainians had arrived in Suffolk by the Homes for Ukraine sponsorship scheme, with the East Suffolk District welcoming the highest number, 365, with West Suffolk receiving 308 Ukrainians. The Ipswich Borough had received the lowest number with 98. Retired RAF Wing Commander Kim Bullshaw has been helping to match Ukrainians with sponsors and said in Felixstowe they had experienced reasonable success in rehoming refugees when they were no longer able to stay in their original accommodation. He said the main issue had been to ensure the refugees were able to find employment as they needed to show they could afford to pay the rent through credit checks in order to move into private accommodation. Some Ukrainians had been able to find alternative accommodation, while others had found homes through letting agents. However, many wanted to remain in Felixstowe as their children were in schools in the area. Mr. Borshaw said private landlords had been understanding, but he said his involvement with the scheme had highlighted the lack of housing available and particularly a lack of effort to increase the housing stock. One of the frustrations is that we just don't see any evidence of a great effort to increase the availability of the housing stock. The onus has been put on the refugees, but with some of them their English is not so good, so the onus is on the host to work through the maze of the private rental market, Mr Borshaw said. He suggested that mobile homes, holiday homes, second homes and unoccupied homes could be brought into use for Ukrainian refugees, but suggested it might be politically difficult for councils and other agencies to do so. I get a £350 a month thank you payment, and in isolation I am happy with that. But if the refugee was homeless, it would cost something like £5,000 a month to house that family, so hosts seem to be the easy, cheap option, Mr Borshaw added. A Suffolk nurse has described how tired and underpaid health professionals increasingly feel they are unable to provide safe care after she wrote to MPs explaining why she had voted to go on strike. Silena Hogan, who's 37, a mental health nurse at Ipswich Hospital, 
has written to two Secretaries of State for Health and Social Care, including Suffolk Coastal MP Therese Coffey, while she held the post, explaining why she had voted in favour of the walkout. In the letter, she called for more investment in the NHS to provide the staffing the service needs, with many having left the NHS or being unable to work their normal hours due to the effects of long COVID contracted when staff were on the front line in battling the pandemic. She said teams were working with unsafe numbers, not just across Suffolk, but across the entire NHS, everywhere in the country, while the ambulance service was in a similar situation, which was having a knock-on effect across healthcare. She added that the NHS had been under pressure before COVID virus struck, but the pandemic had been the straw that broke the camel's back, with many finding it too expensive to get a healthcare degree and then finding they are not getting the pay at the end of it. Miss Hogan said, you can get paid the same working in Tesco or Lidl as being a nurse. Nurses are tired of it, tired of the system, and they are unable to provide the care they want to provide when they took up the job. It is sad, and I think more investment needs to be put into staff if we're going to tackle the crisis, and that includes pay. The Royal College of Nursing, that's the RCN, the union representing the profession, started the ballot over pay a month ago, and the voting closed earlier this week, with some 300,000 nurses being asked if they were willing to take part in industrial action. Miss Hogan, who lives in Felixstowe, called for a pay rise for nurses in line with inflation. She added, It just feels unfair, especially if you feel like you're not helping and you're not getting paid, and it is stressful. The government has offered a 3% wage rise. However, the RCN has called for an increase which exceeds inflation by 5%. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesman said, We value the hard work of NHS nurses and are working hard to support them, including by giving over one million NHS workers, including nurses, a pay rise of at least £1,400 this year, as recommended by the independent NHS pay review body. NHS staff also received a 3% pay rise last year, increasing nurses' pay by £1,000 on average, despite a public sector pay freeze. And now we're going to move on to our general news. Head teachers across Suffolk are facing a dire cash crisis amid national warnings that nine out of ten schools could run out of money next year. Schools say they are facing pressure from the cost of living crisis, inflation and rocketing fuel bills, and also having to fund the teachers' pay rise. Graham White from the National Education Union in Suffolk said schools were in a dire situation. He said, we are moving to that point where schools are facing budgeting issues and there will be cuts to staff as well as cuts to heating and cuts to resources. Nationally, 58% of schools anticipate reducing teaching staff and increasing class sizes. 
A community drop-in session was held at the centre in St John Street, Bury St Edmunds, for potential hosts to find out about the Homes for Ukraine scheme. It comes as some hosts who initially signed to the scheme for at least six months are unable to continue. Suffolk County Council is particularly looking for hosts in Bury and Haverhill, as well as Felixstowe, Ipswich and Lowestoft. Liz Evans, Ukraine Community Development Coordinator at Community Action Suffolk, said, There's a range of reasons why a host cannot continue. Sometimes it can just be a change in circumstances. Six months is a long time. People's personal situations can change. Sometimes there's a breakdown in the relationship between hosts and guests. As the cost of living crisis begins to bite, Liz added that there had been no guidance from the government about whether more financial support would be given to hosts. If homes are not found for Ukrainian refugees, then they will go through the normal system for homeless people and seek emergency accommodation. Anna Selby, a member of Bridge Community Church in Queen's Road, was a host herself. She didn't go through the Homes for Ukraine scheme, but felt compelled to act because her cousin was a refugee in 1992 during the Balkan War. She said, we had her with us for six months, so having had the experience once and seeing her over the last 20 to 30 years make some fantastic achievements in her own life, fully integrated into life in the UK, it's amazing what accommodation can make to them on their journey. In the UK, we're very unused to wars and displacement of people, but if we can imagine what it must be like, wouldn't we long for people who would welcome us? As hosts, you can support them on that journey. Anna offered accommodation to a 17-year-old boy who was able to attend school, improve his English and eventually be reunited with his mother and father when they moved to Bury. A Cycle to School Safely programme in Bury St Edmunds has launched its fourth route in the town this week. The Bike Train Scheme, set up by Town Cargo Bike Initiative Eco Carriers, is a timetabled free group ride for Year 5 and 6 pupils to and from schools in the town. After starting a Great Northern Route, which covers areas including Marham Park and the Howard Estate in September, it was followed by West, Priors, Horringer and Wesley Estates, and South Routes, Nowton and Southgate, with the East Route, Morton Hall, now completing the pilot. Libby Ranzetta, one of the funding members of the eco-carriers and a marshal for the train, said the first trip on the new route, which will run every Tuesday, went really well. She added, this is the fourth and final route of the pilot scheme, and we want to let the world know what we have done, so more people can join us on the train. Parents have said that this idea has made it so much easier for them to get their children to and from school as they do not have to worry about the likes of traffic as that is our job and the children really enjoy the social aspect of being a part of it. Supported by Bury St Edmunds Town Council as well as Suffolk County Council, the bike train is suitable for pupils 
who have ideally completed bike bike ability training, but any competent cyclist can join. They can join the train at any point along their route, and where possible, children should be accompanied by a parent who also cycles. On the support and great feedback the bike train has had, Libby said, I would like to thank everyone that has made these possible and joined us on our route so far. We are currently working with two schools, but we would be keen to work with more in the future and have been doing learn-to-ride sessions with other schools to get people confident and possibly get more town bike trains up and running. The director and co-founder of a financial advisory firm has reflected on its first year of operations in Suffolk. Melissa Davis, who runs Estate Eastgate Financial Limited, part of the Open Work Partnership, said that whereas many financial advisors bill themselves as wealth management firms, Eastgate eschewed the term. Miss Davis said this was because the company wished to work with people from as many backgrounds as possible, not simply wealthy clients. She said, we accept people who have any amount of money. A lot of financial advisors call themselves wealth managers and I absolutely despise the term wealth management because it makes people think they can only come to you if they have a lot of wealth. I call myself a financial planner or advisor. The director said that she found herself in a unique position as a 30-year-old woman in an industry dominated by older men. She co-founded Eastgate last year alongside Ben Ramsey. The firm's horizons are not limited to the Suffolk area, and Miss Davis said they had cultivated a large base of clients. I would say about 50% of our clients are local, and I've got clients in Wales, and I've got clients in Leicester. The first year has been tough going, from my point of view, but in terms of people's engagement and getting in clients, it's been great. Eastgate is a financial conduct authority accredited firm. With temperatures starting to drop as winter approaches, 174 libraries, pubs, cafes, churches, hotels, community and sports centres across Suffolk are opening their doors to provide warm spaces for people struggling with rising energy bills. The aim of the Warm Spaces Scheme, which is being repeated around the country, is to provide warm and welcoming spaces for people who need them. The idea of opening community facilities to the public over the colder months originated during the summer amid fears the spiralling cost of fuel and gas would mean many would be unable to heat their homes. Since then... Organisations have come forward to offer a warm place, with many receiving funding from local councils. East Suffolk Council is providing funding for 27 spaces, which are due to open this month in a range of locations, including community and church halls, leisure centres and pubs. Tea and coffee are provided at the venues, along with free activities book some games, while some independent venues are showing films. In Beckles, the local community hub is running warm rooms with funding from the Beckles Community Partnership, which supports projects tackling social isolation and loneliness, 
and aiming to improve physical well-being. The Council's Ease the Squeeze program, which helps people with the cost of living, has a £500,000 budget, of which £70,000 is being spent on warm spaces. In Ipswich Borough Council's area, community rooms and sports centres Gallery 3 at Ipswich Town Hall and the Ridge Driver Centre at Christchurch Park are all set to open to provide a warm space when temperatures drop below 15 centigrade. The venues will be open during normal opening hours and will provide hot drinks, a microwave to heat meals, free Wi-Fi and hot showers at sports centres for a £1 fee. Meanwhile, in Baber and Mid-Suffolk, warm spaces are being operated at Kingfisher's Leisure Centre in Sudbury and Hadley Pool and Leisure, while the council recently launched a winter warm support fund. Community groups and not-for-profit organisations can apply to the fund for between £250 to £5,000 to cover the cost of additional meetings and sessions. An award-winning illustrator has visited a Suffolk school to mark Remembrance Day with a reminder about the sacrifices we should never forget. Martin Impey, best known for his artwork interpreting one of Wilfred Owen's anti-war poems, visited Westfield Primary Academy, Clements Primary, Burton End Primary and Samuel Ward Upper School in Haverhill. The events, organised by local literacy campaign Get Suffolk Reading, aimed to provide inspiration, greater understanding and empathy to pupils in local primary and upper schools. The campaign leaders said that it is particularly important in the period leading up to Remembrance Day to bring World War I poetry to life and help children make connections with the themes. Mr Impey said, It's a real pleasure to come to Haverhill to share stories about World War I and to enthuse the children to be creative in their own way. Learning about remembrance and why we wear our poppies and remembering the sacrifices made is something we should never forget. Toby Gooch, the assistant head teacher at Westfield Primary Academy, said... Providing an opportunity for our children at Westfield to engage with inspirational literature and Martin's amazing illustrations all add to our work to encourage children to aim high and believe that they can achieve. Thank you to Get Suffolk Reading for bringing this opportunity to life in response to our request. Get Suffolk Reading, a campaign led by the National Literacy Trust in partnership with Suffolk County Council, encourages families to read together to improve the well-being and aspiration of young children. Suzanne Stevenson, Get Suffolk Reading Project Manager for Haverhill, said that they are delighted to welcome Mr Impey to some of Haverhill schools and community organisations. She added, Martin's illustrations and keen interest in history and stories are sure to inspire pupils, teachers and adults. Mr Impey is also conducting talks at Cleves Place Care Home 
and Haverhill Arts Centre to give the community the opportunity to find out more about his work and knowledge of World War I. A popular reed pub which waved goodbye to a long-serving landlords in August is set to open on a Wednesday with new faces behind the bar. Sally and Paul Adams have taken on the reed plough with the aim of welcoming old and new customers through its historic doors and taking it to Rosette Standard. Inside the pub has been painted and a new kitchen installed while there are plans for new toilets, the exterior to be repainted and the roof rethatched in the coming months. Meanwhile, the couple also have a long-term vision of opening a farm shop selling local produce in the pub's barn, after realising there was nowhere nearby to buy a pint of milk or a loaf of bread. Paul is an experienced publican with a history of taking on establishments and getting them to rosette standard, with good quality food cooked from fresh using local produce. Everything is being locally sourced and down to the wines, ales and gins, said Sally. We have lavender meats, gin from Suffolk Distillery and wines from Nethergate Wines. Everything is from Suffolk. Chef Charlie Dorney was so enthusiastic and doing an amazing job with the menu, added Sally, while she said customers would notice a few changes. The plough was known as a restaurant, but we have split it, so we have a restaurant fully laid out and the bar area is now a bar again, where you can come in for a pint and bring your dog and children. It's more relaxed, said Sally. The villagers are over the moon about that. Sally, who has enjoyed a successful career in television and film hair and makeup design, said she fell in love with Suffolk decades ago while working with Anglia TV. I remember wonderful times filming Lovejoy here. I love Suffolk and the Plough is a very special pub in a beautiful location, she said. The Reed Plough will be open Wednesday to Saturday from 10am to 3pm and 5pm to close and on Sundays from noon to 10pm. Coffee and pastries will be available in the mornings and thanks to a newly installed coffee machine. Previous landlords Brian and Joyce Desborough retired in August after moving into the pub in 1982. Now we have a selection of letters for you. My first letter comes from Graham Judge in Barrow. I'm sure that I'm one among many who are appalled at the dereliction of responsibility shown by the decision of Matt Hancock to absent himself from Parliament in order to appear on television. Putting aside the fact that he will be carrying out this assignment while still receiving his parliamentary salary, his decision demonstrates the sheer hypocrisy shown by members of the current government party, single mother being required to work more hours in order to maintain benefits being just one example. However, what this episode does demonstrate is the overwhelming need for a change in our electoral system. I have lived in Suffolk for nearly 40 years, and at every general election my vote counts for nothing. In the West Suffolk constituency, every general election this century has seen approximately 20,000 people casting a wasted vote. 
Even if the West Suffolk Conservative Association do the decent thing and deselect Mr Hancock, we will simply have another Tory parachuted in to what is considered to be a safe seat. This needs to change. We urgently need to introduce some form of proportional representation that will result in multi-member constituencies. I know there will be those who will point to countries such as Italy and Israel, where PR has caused uncertainty and less stable government, but the counter to this is Germany and Ireland. This country wrote the post-war German constitution, which enshrined PR into their electoral system and Germany has been the most productive and consistently successful European economy for decades. Ireland has also managed to provide stable government through its use of the single transferable vote, the STEB. How do we get the required change? The Labour Party, under the leadership of Keir Starmer, has ruled out PR, even though their local constituency parties were overwhelmingly in favour. Therefore, I would urge all those individuals who have spent years casting their wasted vote to write to the leader of the Labour Party, care of the House of Commons, and urge him to change his stance. He may well feel that his party will win the next general election on a first-past-the-post system, but if they only serve one term, a real possibility, then change goes on the back burner for yet another generation. And my first letter is actually from a group. It's, it's from the Bury St Edmunds Quakers, and they are in St John Street in Bury St Edmunds. And their letter is headed, Help us to find climate solutions. On November the 6th, 2021, Bury St Edmunds Quakers held a silent witness on Angel Hill as part of a global day of action calling for just solutions to the climate crisis. We have continued to do this on the first Saturday of each month, and our next gathering on November the 5th will mark a year of this endeavour. Over the year, many people beyond our Quaker community have joined us, appreciating and sharing our belief in the need for action and supporting each other from a position of love rather of fear. As heads of state and governments, representatives of civil society, activists and negotiators prepare to gather for the COP27 conference on climate change in Egypt from November the 6th to the 18th, the evidence of climate change is ever more apparent. We are concerned that our own government has done little to address this. Despite the hopes which were raised on COP26 in Glasgow last year, we invite reflection on how we may keep the need for action at the forefront of people's minds and how we may just join with wildlife and environmental organisations such as the RSPB and the National Trust in continuing their challenge to the government. Now the next letter I have, name and address is supplied but not um, stated. And it says we'll be making a gatehouse delivery. Thanks for the timely reminder of the needs of those in our community who are less fortunate than the rest of us and for prioritising items that are most wanted. That refers to the Gifts for Gatehouse appeal in the Berry Free Press, October 28th. 
I am ashamed to say we didn't make a donation last year, but with that in mind, we will make every effort to redress the balance this year by increasing the amount we put aside for this most worthwhile cause. We are both pensioners with a limited income, but having said that, our needs, having dispensed with the mortgage, are met, leaving us with little to spare, which will do more good to those in need than making our mattress uncomfortable with lumps and bumps here and there. With the above in mind, we are going to do a big shop for Gatehouse ASAP, which will certainly have been before this issue of the Berry Free Press hits the shops. And my next letter is from Audrey Nela from Ipswich, who heads the letter, Traffic is least of our concerns. My family use the Dartford Crossing a lot. We have experienced holds up lasting up to five hours due to loose horses, a load of timber in the road and power cuts in both tunnels. None of these traffic incidents hit the headlines. On October the 17th, National Highways East reported a one-hour delay with three miles of congestion on the approach to the tunnel. Nurses probably can't get to patients, I witnessed one indignant elderly lady pronounce. The ambulance service have confirmed no patients had delayed treatment due to the Just Stop Oil protesters' actions. A contraflow was in place in the tunnel. Spectacularly, intelligent civil engineers scaled the St Elizabeth Bridge cables to alert us to government action on fossil fuel to give us the chance to speak up on behalf of those children and grandchildren our 42-year-old Prime Minister says he cares about from his inaugural speech. The United Nations say, faced with a growing energy crisis, record greenhouse gas concentrations and increasing extreme weather events, COP27 seeks renewed solidarity between countries to deliver on the landmark Paris Agreement for people and the planet. Yet it is reported that the UK has opened up a new licensing round to allow oil and gas companies to explore for fossil fuels in the North Sea, possibly illegally. Traffic is the least of our concerns. Now my last letter comes from Cliff Waterman, who was the Labour candidate for Bury St Edmunds constituency in the 2019 general election. Open letter to Joe Churchill, MP. I am writing to ask you to join me in calling for an immediate general election. You will recall that I was the runner-up in the 2019 general election. We both ran on the basis of the manifestos of our parties and in support of our party leaders. Since then, your party has replaced the leader twice and we now have an unelected Prime Minister in Downing Street. His predecessor was at least elected by the members of your own party. The current PM wasn't even elected by Conservative MPs. As you will know, many in your own party are angry about this. Many Conservative MPs are unhappy as well. Every opposition party has called for an early general election. If you believe in democracy, this is an untenable position for any Prime Minister. Given the yawning splits in your party on policy, it will be impossible 
for this newly crowned Prime Minister to get agreement on the measures it needs. It is a matter of open speculation as to how long he can hold on. The previous PM lasted only 45 days. Will Rishi Sunak last much longer? The country faces multiple crises, inflation raging above 10%, the cost of living crisis forcing people to choose between heating or eating, the war in Europe, our NHS on its knees, businesses being forced to close by spiralling fuel prices. In the interests of stability and the future prosperity of our country, we need to have a Prime Minister who has spelled out their programme to the country, had it examined in the light of debate, and has been given a mandate by the British people. We cannot go on with the chaos 12 years of Conservative government has brought to the country. So, Joe Churchill MP, will you do the decent thing and add your voice to the call for an immediate general election? And my last letter is written by Councillor Cliff Waterman, and he says, I am writing to ask you to join me in calling for an immediate general election. A district councillor has called for an early general election and is urging an MP support his proposal. In a letter to Bury St Edmunds MP Joe Churchill, seen by the Bury Free Press, Councillor Cliff Waterman states that he does not believe Rishi Sumac has any democratic mandate. Councillor Waterman, who has the Labour candidate for Bury in the 2019 general election, warns that the UK faces multiple crises. The letter reads, I am writing to ask you to join me in calling for an immediate general election. You will recall that I was a runner-up in the 2019 general election. We both ran on the basis of the manifestos of our parties and in support of our party leaders. Since then, your party has replaced the leader twice. And we now have an unelected Prime Minister in Downing Street. His predecessor was at least elected by the members of your own party. The current MP wasn't even elected by Conservative MPs. As you will know, many in your own party are angry about this. Many Conservative MPs are unhappy as well. Every opposition party has called for an early general election. If you believe in democracy, this is an untenable position for any Prime Minister. Councillor Waterman singles out the cost of living crisis as among the key issues currently facing Britain. He argues that there is a need for clarity from the government on its plans for the years ahead and says this can only be provided by an election. We now have a feature on the Abbey Gardens. It's fairly long, and so we're going to split this in two. Um, I will stop reading, and Sue will carry on with the second half. It is well known that the Abbey Gardens were the site of a great Benedictine Abbey, founded in AD 945 and dissolved by Henry VIII in 1539. Less widely appreciated is that in 1831... After 300 years of neglect, the grounds, which were owned by the Marquis of Bristol, were laid out as a botanic garden. The botanic garden was the creation of Nathaniel Hudson, 
who moved to Bury St Edmunds in 1818 on resigning from the War Office. Hodson first established a botanic garden in Bury St Edmunds by transferring his extensive collection of plants to a garden at the eastern side of the churchyard in 1821. After ten years, due to an offer from the Marquis of Bristol, the garden was moved to a new and more spacious location on the site of the great court of the abbey. The central feature of the six-acre site was a circular form of one acre, following the pattern of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Brussels. This consisted of radiating concentric beds which were intersected by two principal promenades and a number of secondary grass paths. The beds were planted mainly with native flowers and herbs laid out in their natural botanical orders and relationships. Hodson compiled a comprehensive catalogue of plants which were cultivated in his original garden. This was published in 1822 and includes some 2,000 plant names. It can be assumed that the majority of these plants, with some additions, were moved to the new site in the early 1890s. Payne's map of Bury St Edmunds in 1834 gave a cartographic record of the original layout. In the early years, the gardens were financed by subscribers who are also recorded in the catalogue. In 1822, they numbered some 164 and included the Duke of Norfolk, the Duke of Grafton, the Marquis of Cornwall and the Earl of Euston. The subscription rate was two guineas per annum. It soon became apparent that the incoming funds were insufficient to meet the expense of a scientific establishment. As a consequence, it was deemed advisable to introduce a general collection of ornamental plants. Hodgson died in 1861, aged 79, and after being mayor and a member of the borough council. At the end of the 19th century, visitors were allowed into the gardens for a fee of one shilling and children for sixpence. This figure was relatively high to control the clientele and thereby excluding the undesirables. Photographic evidence from the turn of the 19th century shows that the gardens were very densely planted in a lush, if rather unkept, manner. In 1912, the Borough Council took out a lease for the gardens at £90 per annum, with the intention of maintaining the area. However, it was not until 1936 that some new ideas were incorporated into the layout of the gardens. The mayor proposal was a redesign of the central area, which swept away the concentric art circles and replaced them with 64 island beds. The scheme was drawn up by Mr W. F. Rolls, the head gardener at Hardwick Manor, and executed by Mr E. L. Bond, Park's superintendent for the borough. The planting scheme was coupled with an illuminated display prepared under the direction of Mr D. Fulcher of the Electricity Board. The new display formed part of the Bury St Edmunds celebrations and the coronation of George VI in 1937. Since that time, the gardens have been subject to many improvements, including the Sensory Garden and the Appleby Rose Garden. 
The gardens were eventually bought from the Bristol family by the Borough Council in 1953 for £7,814 and one shilling. Over the years, a number of the original trees have unfortunately had to be felled due to disease. However, the original spirit of the Botanic Garden has been maintained by planting of many specimen trees. In 2011, decorative Somerset willow hedges planted and designed by Laura Ellen Bacon were set in and around the recently refurbished children's play area. Now back to some general news. NHS charity My Wish has donated five nebulizers to a community respiratory team based in Suffolk with the hope that they will prevent hospital admissions. Nebulizers cost £100 each and help patients breathe in medicine as a fine mist through a mask or a mouthpiece. On average, the respiratory nurse specialist team working out of West Suffolk House in Bury St Edmunds cares for 400 patients who need oxygen or other respiratory care. The aim is that because of the donation of the nebulizers, patients will avoid time in hospital. They will also help treat people on the COVID virtual ward that are being cared for at home. Nadia Leonard, who leads the community respiratory team that works across Suffolk, said, Our patients all have respiratory needs, including chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Treating them in their own home is so important, not only because the hospital is so busy, but because we all know patients do better in their own environment. We can't thank the My Wish charity and their supporters enough for these nebulizers. They will make such a difference and allow us to treat more patients. Sally Daniels, fundraising manager for My Wish, said, People often think we only support West Suffolk Hospital, but this isn't the case. We also enhance the care of patients in the community right across Suffolk. This covers all ages as well as all aspects of care. It's so important to help patients to be treated at home if possible. This is better for them and their families. It means less travel to and from the hospital, less support needed by family and friends for these appointments or hospital stays, and freeing up beds mean we can help the patient flow within the hospital. Sally added the nebulizers cost £100, which is a small price to pay for the amount of difference each one will make. The My Wish charity enhances the care received by patients of the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, which includes West Suffolk Hospital and Newmarket Community Hospital. Book Grant for Society's Celebration The Berry Society has been awarded £1,000 to help pay for a 50th anniversary booklet, which will celebrate its achievements. The money granted by Berry St Edmunds Town Council will go towards producing the A4 size book, which will have around 50 pages of photographs, newspaper clippings and information about society's contribution to the town since 1971 when it was formed to help save St John's Street from demolition. The celebrations have been delayed due to the pandemic. Martin Taylor, Society Chairman, said, There's so many things that we've done over the years that we felt we needed to celebrate with a book of our achievements. This book will going out to Bury Society members. 
were having a thousand made and then were also distributed them to schools and libraries, the apex, museums and anywhere where the public is involved, so they too can understand and appreciate what the Berry Society has achieved over its 50 years. It is hoped the book will be out by the end of this year. The Society is also looking for more members. A fireworks display which raises thousands of pounds for good causes has sold out. The Bury St Edmunds Round Table Fireworks Spectacular is returning to the Abbey Gardens following a two-year absence due to the pandemic. With a capacity of 5,000 people, the last tickets were snapped up on Wednesday and it is the first time in its history that the event has sold out. It could generate as much as £15,000 for good causes in the town. A Bury St Edmunds School football team had been kitted out for the season thanks to a funding boost by the UK Power Networks. Hardwick Primary School's under-9s team received £250 Team Support Award from the company after employee Richard Fish applied for the funds, as his son Joshua is a member of the squad. Mr Fish, a trainee project designer, now coaches the team after he initially got involved as a weekend helper. He said, This is the second time we have taken advantage of the team sport funding, it's a wonderful way of helping local community sides and everyone at Hardwick is really grateful for the support. The Team Support Award scheme encourages UK Power Network staff to volunteer in the community and is aimed at promoting healthy living, teamwork and developing sporting opportunities. Pupils at a primary school have buried a time capsule under a new classroom to be left underground for generations to come. Children from Elfden Church of England Primary Academy were also given an X marks the spot map so that they can find it. The school's history club joined the team at Siemens Building, based in Bury St Edmunds, to bury the capsule. Site manager Neil Honeyball from Siemens removed a section of the floor so the capsule could be placed inside. He said it was a brilliant event. The children loved the idea of burying a piece of history that will be unearthed by following generations. The time capsule includes information on the history of the school and Elvedon estate, as well as pictures of the school buildings, teachers and members of the staff, and information about royal visits. Head teacher Lorna Rourke said the children really love creating the time capsule. They got a chance to trawl through our archive to find out about the history of the school and picked out pieces they thought would be interesting to whoever opened it in the future. A giant bunk sculpture weighing around a quarter of a tonne has returned to a plinth in the crypt at Abbey Gardens in Bury St Edmunds this week. The monk originally appeared at the site in November last year, kicking off the Abbey 1000 celebrations, marking 1000 years since the founding of the Abbey of St Edmunds by King Canute. The sculpture by Nigel Keynes, made by blacksmith Kevin Baldwin, had installed by Berry Developments, has become the eighth plinth piece as part of the celebrations. Melanie Lesser of Abbey 1000 said, 
This sculpture project has been a great way to encourage more people to visit the ruins of the Abbey of St Edmund and learn about the amazing building and community that once dominated the town. An artisan market selling pottery, cakes, jewellery and other handmade products saw hundreds attend to raise money for a good cause. The Little Makers Market attracted 300 people to Culford Village Hall over the weekend, with the event raising £500 for St Nicholas Hospice Care with a charity raffle. There were two hampers up for grabs, made up of many handmade products donated by the market's 21 stall holders and makers. Libby Hutchins, owner of pottery business Handmade at Bramley Cottage, said... We had such a good range and we really focused on providing a variety of high-quality stalls. It feels great to be able to put on events like these. I think people have got into the habit of buying from small businesses, which is amazing. We're really proud of how the weekend went and a lot of people said it's one of the nicest markets that they've been to. Everyone did such a great job, and it's such a community thing. All the makers were supporting each other, and I think that's what it's all about, really. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Green News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Katrina and from Roger, from Neil and from Sue, it's Goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.